0: Well, good morning. I have a a confession. I was on my patio this morning having coffee. And uh, I had a uh, kind of revelation that the sermon that I had prepared for, uh, for this Sunday while I still intend to give it, wasn't wasn't complete. And the Holy Spirit just kind of convicted me that some things needed to be said about what's going on in the world today. And so for the most part, what you'll hear this morning is is what I had prepared, but at a certain point in the sermon, I'm going to set it aside for a moment uh, before I wrap it up, and just share some thoughts with you, because the Holy Spirit just won't be quenched, and sometimes we just have to say some things uh, that He's put on our heart. We, uh, we have spent the last two Sundays mostly in the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy and Numbers. And this morning, I want to bring us back into the New Testament to look at a passage from Hebrews. Now, theologians have varying opinions as to who wrote the anonymous book of Hebrews. And I tend to reside in the camp of those who believe that it might have been Paul. But I have to admit, there's just enough dissimilarity in uh, Paul's th- theology and his style to where most people won't commit 100% to that, to Paul's authorship. And as the 3rd century theologian origin is quoted as saying, only God knows who wrote Hebrews. But we know that it's the inspired word of God, regardless of whether it was Paul or someone else. Hear this word from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being and he sustains all things by the power of his word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, in the days before Jesus became the incarnate deity here on earth, born as the baby in the manger. In the days before that miraculous event occurred, God spoke through prophets like Isaiah or Elijah or Elisha, and you could even throw Moses into that mix. But now, God speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. And through His Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And now He speaks to us through His creation. Which Hebrews says here, was created through Christ the Son. See, the things that we see in the world are evidence of the divine hand of God. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, speaks to us through creation. From his position at the right hand of God the Father, right now, at this very moment, Christ continues to speak into our lives. Having redeemed us through his death and resurrection, he continues to speak into our lives through the Holy Spirit and through his word, the Bible. Sustaining us. Holding our world together. Even when things seem to be pressing in on us and not going our way. Why does he care so much? Why does God care so much for us, his creation? Why did he even create us in the first place? I mean, he had the angels there with him already, singing constant praises to him, adoring him With the lifting up of their voices in song to Him, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. A constant praise and glorification of God. With all of that, what makes us so special? Why would the God of the universe pour so much love into people, people like us, who by and large across the world don't spend all that much time acknowledging him as Lord, let alone sing praises to him day and night, as do the angels. Continuing in Hebrews. Now God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels. But someone has testified somewhere. What are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor and subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. So according to Hebrews... God's plan for us in the coming kingdom, his plans are to put all things in subjection to us, leaving nothing out of our control. How is this possible? It's possible because of our relationship with Jesus Christ as believers. Here's how it works. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect relationship with one another. In this Trinity, in this Trinitarian relationship, God the Father is in the position of authority to which God the Son is exalted to a position of submission. Now that sounds strange to us in our worldview influence ears because we've taken that word submission and we have kind of twisted it into something negative in the worldview. In truth, the submissive position in the Trinity... In the model of the Trinity is the position where all of the love of God is directed. That love of God directed at the Son exalts the Son. So, if we take that concept and we apply it in the practical, we can look at one of God's creations where that principle is applied one with which we're all intimately acquainted, and that's the family. See, in the Trinitarian design, God created the family to be a direct reflection of the Holy Trinity. God, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife, child. See, in God's design, the husband is at the head of the family and the wife is, is exalted to a position of submission bear in mind that that word submission is is a glorious word in its original context all the husband's love is directed toward her he sacrifices for her her needs are put first in the family There's some conviction here. I don't always do that, do I? Her needs are put first. Within the boundaries of righteousness and the will of God, the wife is exalted to a position of submission. So, within the construct of the design of the family, under the authority of the husband, the wife is exalted. In the construct of the Holy Trinity, under the authority of God, Christ the Son is exalted. So, with that, we're only part way there in answering the question how is this possible? That all things would be in subjection to us. Nothing out of our control. See, the relationship between the husband and the wife is likened, the Bible says, to that of Christ and the church. And the church is another of God's systems that is a direct reflection of the model of the Holy Trinity. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit... And then in the church, Christ as head of the church, the body of Christ, the church, in submission to the authority of Christ, and then the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believers. You see how that reflects the Trinity? husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. As Ephesians 5 says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now I think we've heard that biblical relationship between husband and wife talked about enough to grasp this concept of it being modeled After the relationship between Christ and the the church. And that relationship in turn is a direct reflection of the Trinity relationship between God the Father and God the Son. I think we get that. But there's another relationship in the Trinity that's not as often discussed. And it's truly the one that answers the question. How are all these things going to be in subjection to us? The relationship of which I speak is the relationship in the Holy Trinity, which involves the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now this is the sending out of the Holy Spirit to dwell in and among the people of God. As the Holy Spirit works in the world, He works in the Trinitarian model of the church, Christ being the head of the church, through grace, those acting under His authority, that's the leaders in the church that we've talked about before, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Those leaders equip the people building them up to do the work of the kingdom in the world. And as people are saved, they are brought into the body of Christ. They are brought into relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every person who is saved, who is justified. Now hear this part. When the Holy Spirit enters us as we are saved, we become part of the family of God. We are invited into relationship with God. We are invited in not only to the Trinitarian model of the church, but through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are invited into the mystical union, the unio mystica, the union of the individual human soul With the entire Godhead. Listen to what I'm saying here. We are invited into the Holy Trinity itself. Invited in to be a part of the divine relationship with God. That's how it's possible for the kingdom to be subject to us. It's by invitation only. As it says in Hebrews, for this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. That's in front of all the heavenly host of saints and angels and the entire Godhead. I will claim you as my brothers and sisters, and I will praise you in their midst. To be invited into the Trinity. That's an amazing thought. Who are we that he would be mindful of us? Be exalted, church. The love of Christ is directed to you this day and forevermore while the world may be pressing in on us in these days of evil, we have to remember that the Bible says days like this, days like these will come to pass. But they will pass. Now I have to, I have to say, and this is where we deviate, I think, from from the message that was intended this morning. Some thoughts about Oregon and what happened there. The first thought prayer is needed for the families, but also for the entire body of Christ and especially the persecuted church, both here and abroad. Prayer. Thanksgiving is warranted for the strength of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit who made it possible for those nine souls. Especially... The second martyr, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. The power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in them. Knowing that the result of their admission, their acknowledgement of their Lord and Savior would result in the same thing that happened to the first. And they acknowledged him anyway. And the third thing. These events are a call to action for Christians. Christians. Our strength is in Christ, who was not passive. Our Savior is not soft. His word is not weak. It is a sword. It's a weapon wielded to conquer evil and bring light and truth into the world. Part of the armor of God we are told to put on as believers, is the sword of truth. And it does no one any good if it's left in its sheath. You have to pull it out and swing it. You have to use the sword of truth. As Christians, we are called to use the sword of truth. Jesus did not cower in the face of evil. Turning the other cheek is not weakness But defiance in the face of evil. Sometimes you have to turn over a few tables in the money changers area of the temple. That's the only way you clean the temple out. And above all, speak the truth. Speak it with love, but stand and speak it. It's our responsibility as Christians to speak the truth. Silence is not an option. Silence is consent. Silence in the face of persecution and evil allows it to continue without the light of truth being shined upon it. You have to shine the light of truth on evil no matter how large the offense or no matter how small. Days of persecution and evil are difficult, but they are temporary. God has a plan for us for a future and a hope. A future where all things are subject to us, where nothing is out of our control. A future where Christ reigns and we are called His brothers and sisters. And the beautiful thing is the future starts right now with the hope of Christ and the Holy Spirit taking us into the center of the Trinity where we live and we move and we have our being. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we are invited in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.